This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. The Jersey Sounds of Power Talk. On Power 987 with me, your Knoxman, standing in for the Queen of Hearts, Laraton Bella. She's back with you tomorrow. Before we get into our mining um, discussion, we know that the mining in Daba kicked off yesterday in Cape Town. So we're going to reflect um, on it for the coming 20 minutes or so. But um, apparently there's an advisory um, on safe conduct for Nigerians in South Africa before, during and after 2024 AFCON match between Super Eagles and Bafana Bafana. Yeah, it's been uh, issued by the High Commission of the Federal Republic of Nigeria and Pretoria, South Africa. This is quite unfortunate, but uh, I think they're taking precautions. So what I will do, because I just saw it, thanks to Dr. Salohalani for forwarding it to me, so we'll pass it on to the next show so that they can look into it and uh, discuss it further about, yeah, it's a, it's an alert issued by the High Commission of Nigeria ahead of tomorrow's semi-final encounter between South Africa and Nigeria. So, yeah, let's hope that uh, nothing um, of ill-discipline and violence will happen. There's no need. It's a football match. Um, it's a sport. And um, either you win or you lose, and we carry on with our lives. Nothing of uh, uh, nothing of, of violence um, should happen. All right, let's uh, look at the... Uh, the issue of mining, uh, the mining in Daba currently underway. We saw the president as well as uh, the minister of mineral resources and energy, Gwede Mantaje, among others, addressing uh, the opening yesterday. So we welcome David Van Veek, um, the researcher and mining analyst, um, Benchmarks Foundation. Um, David, good morning to you. Welcome to, to Power. Oh, good morning, and thank you very much for having us on your show. And also Peter Major, mining analyst. Peter, welcome. Thank you. Okay, guys, I listen to the callers of these shows, and sometimes they pose questions that we don't have. Um, and I'm, there's a caller who posed the question earlier on today, and I said I'll take advantage of, of our conversation and pose it to you. Probably you can assist him. The caller was saying the mining in Daba, 30 years of mining in Daba, happening in the city of Cape Town and the city of Cape Town does not even have mines to talk about um, and it generates a lot of economic spin-offs for Cape Town whereas the mining belt of Northwest and Pumalanga and many other mining areas, why don't they get economic spin-offs that comes up with uh, an important event like mining in Daba? David Van Veek, is there a reason why it's only being held in, in Cape Town? Do you know any reason? Well, I think that we are as the alternative mining in Daba sitting at, uh, in Woodstock in Cape Town as a counter to the main mining in Daba, where we have communities from all over the country and, in fact, from all over the world, uh, NGOs and civil society organizations as well, talking about mining and the issues related to mining other than just investment in mining. Um, the main mining in Daba is essentially an investment in Daba, and that's why <clears throat> I think they're holding it in Cape Town, <clears throat> because investors find Cape Town to be a nice place in February to have an in Daba in. Um, I also suspect the reason why we have the main in Daba in Cape Town is because uh, 
given the distance from mines and mine communities, there's less likely to be protests against mining in Cape Town than there would be in Johannesburg or Rustenburg or elsewhere. Peter Major, you, you want to weigh in on that? Well, I think David's ticked all the boxes. He's exactly correct. Cape Town is a wonderful destination for the Northern Hemisphere to come this time of year. And most of the money is still coming from the Northern Hemisphere. So when you're trying to attract money, sometimes you got to put on lipstick, you got to dye your hair, you might have to put yourself in a sexy dress. You'll do what it takes to attract money. You can't build a mine without money. Everybody knows that for thousands of years. You need money to build mines. Governments know it, communities know it, and boy, do the businesses know it. So if you want to go to Afghanistan and hold a mining conference, you're probably not going to get as much money and people with money as you're going to get if you have a good location like Cape Town. Now, Toronto has the bigger endowments in the winter. Who really wants to go there? It's so crowded. So all the mining people and the investment people I talk to that come here, the international ones and the local ones who travel, say, this is the nicest endowment of all. It's the right size. You get most of the big heavyweights here. You get a lot of middleweights. But you can see them all. You might have to spend three, four days, but you can see them. Toronto's a madhouse. In Australia, yeah, they're a little bit of this, a little bit of the Wild West. So Cape Town's a great location. The Sundaba has grown every year. And boy, this year, it's it's way bigger than last year, which is a great year. I think we're over 10,000. So let's not screw up the winning formula. We all need money. This government and all of us individually, if they like Cape Town, let's keep it here. David, you mentioned... Thank you, guys, for, 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 for those very interesting comments. David, you also mentioned um, something extremely important, that there is an alternative uh, mining in Daba going mm-hmm. on currently. And it takes mm-hmm. me back to the concerns raised by communities, and some of them were very brutal. Um, one thinks of the Kolobeni a conflict um, where some of the community members were even killed, um, the man popularly known as Bazuga. But the Kolobeni community fought so hard and even took the matter to the, to, to, to the High Court in Pretoria and won in terms of that. So the question is, and it's not only a Kolobeni, many communities in South Africa, they have issues with mining companies. Has the South African government done enough to listen to the communities and incorporate their concerns and fears in terms of their mining strategy? Or it's still well, the same? Hence, well, you see this other parallel uh, in Daba taking place. Well, I think that that is a key question that you are asking. Uh, yesterday was 50 days after the judgment in the Lily Mine case. Um, the public prosecutor promised to have prosecutions before the 50 days are up. It never happened. The Akersfontein happened more than a year and a half ago. Uh, there's still no sign of a commission of inquiry, and there's still no sign of that mine being held accountable. The local councillors in the Kharib municipality have not been paid their salaries since uh, November last year, despite the fact that they have two major mining, diamond mining areas in their uh, municipality. You know, they're not generating any income from mining in those municipalities and people are not getting paid there. Um, you know, uh, the story is sad because if I go on Google Earth next to every mine, I find a big squatter camp uh, of, uh, in a sea of poverty. In fact, it's where they are operating. Um, and so I don't think that we've got the mix right as yet as far as 
local community development and so on is concerned, despite the fact that most mines will report that they're spending absolutely millions on social and labor plans and on uh, uh, local economic development and so on, it doesn't seem to be happening for uh, ordinary people. All right, we will come back to the actual happenings in Cape Town, but I think it's important to, to also um, touch on issues that affect the people of South Africa and communities there. And I'm glad you, you mentioned, David, the issue of uh, lily mines, where three South Africans are still stuck. Um, uh, they're still stuck underground, and there's been a whole lot of politicking and so on. But we have seen some kind of progress after Hemen Mashaba of Action SA, uh, Peter Major, um, stepped in to, to work with the communities. They even pushed for the issue of uh, the business rescue process and even making a demand that whoever buys that mind, the first thing that, that, that needs to happen is to, uh, is to extract that container so that the families of... Uh, uh, Nirenda, Munisi, and Nkambule should find closure. And uh, the NPA also gave them uh, assurance that they will prosecute within 50 days after some of the agreement. They are now calling for a knowledge certificate because they says they might want to, to prosecute privately. How do we, uh, Peter Major, how do we bring an end to this uh, lily mine issue? It's been going on for quite a long time. Look, they always say the buck stops at the top. Remember? man that dropped the atom bomb, President Truman. He says, anybody's got a problem with it, the buck stops here. I gave the order. When you're a general, whether it's Eisenhower, Caesar, the buck stops with the general. So your question was very appropriate. Has the South African government done enough to listen to the communities, let alone to act for the communities? No, without a doubt they haven't. They get a budget of two trillion rand a year. And they can blow it all on anything. It doesn't matter what they spend it on. They get another $2 trillion the next year. I'll tell you, if you're a fund manager, if you spend any of that money and it doesn't add to the money you've got, you get it all taken away the next year. So government's got $2 trillion a year. The mining companies, even a rich mining company, might make a few billion. So divide $2, 3000000000 billion by $2, 3000000000000 trillion. That's not even 1%. That's 0.101%. So the mining companies... They don't even have a quarter of 1% of the money that the government has. And so shouldn't government be building a couple schools, maybe a hospital? How about some streetlights and water? Yeah, I can remember when governments used to even handle water and electricity. So without a doubt, the government's paying lip service to the communities maybe once every five years for an election. They're not doing what it takes. And if government is serious now, they took away everybody's mineral rights 20 years ago. They swore they wouldn't. When Nelson Mandela got out of prison, he swore, we will not nationalize the mines like all the countries north of us. Read my lips. Ten years to the day, we broke that vow here. We nationalized all the mines overnight. So they lost everything. Billions of dollars of investments are worth nothing now because the mines were nationalized. Okay. So now the mines are owned by the government. They own all the minerals. So... They have a responsibility. And if they want mining companies or new investors to take over those minerals, the first thing all my clients say is, I'm not taking on somebody else's liability, Peter. You want me to bring money from overseas, a safe bank account into this risky country. That's risky enough. Don't ask me to take on somebody else's liabilities. So 
that's usually what government's for. They're the buck of last choice. You know, government so, has to say, we will take care of that liability. So, so Peter, help me out here. Did I hear you correctly to say government is owning mines? Government has nationalized mines. Did I hear you yes, correctly? That's correctly. Which, 20 you, years ago. They nationalized every square centimeter of land in this country, the mineral rights. The government owns all the mineral rights in this country. The mines don't own any minerals. Oh, you mean minerals rights. You, you mean mineral rights, not necessarily like mining, like we have mining companies like Lone Mine and so on. I just needed clarity because I'm getting confused from what you say. Well, the mining companies also had to give away 30%. Yes. So they had to give away 30% of their equity. And what made it really difficult is every rand they spend, 70% must go to specifically allocated businesses and people. So now you've not only taken 30% of a person's right to his money away, but you, now you're controlling how he spends it. You say, no, no, you can't spend it there. You must give it to this man. You must give it to this company. Even if he's a front for the Chinese, he's a local. You must give it to him. So okay. it's hard to start a new mine here when you don't have control over your money. Okay. All right, David, I want us, just that we don't have too much time and there's so many things to talk about. So I will jump around based on yeah. you know some of the things <laughs> that you guys are saying as well. But let me take you back to the Debsoana deal in Botswana, okay? Um, DBS and the Botswana government. Um, because in our conversation with Botswana government, um, because we, we send a reporter there, and they were saying what they are demanding for the renewed deal, it's, it's completely different. It must wholly, wholly benefit the people of Botswana. And some people were saying, shouldn't South Africa look into what Botswana and the BS have done, were they justified in, in saying that? And I'm asking, maybe under the impression that you might have looked at that particular deal, have you? The well, yes. Deal. Yeah. Um, well, well, Botswana for a very long time benefited from the sale of rough diamonds by Debswana and De Beers, but they didn't benefit much from the retail sale of jewellery and so on that resulted from those diamonds being exported. What the Botswana government was demanding was a stake in the retail sector with regard to diamonds, you know, the polished diamonds, the, the jewellery and everything else. If we look at the diamond pipeline, most diamond jobs are actually created outside of Botswana. Most wealth is generated outside of Botswana once the diamonds are processed and turned into jewellery and so on. And the government was saying, you know, if we look at this pipeline, we want a bigger share at the other end of the process, that is the, 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 the jewellery shops and so on around the world that are actually selling the diamonds. We want, we want an income from that part of the diamond deal. And uh, basically they threatened to, to end the agreement with De Beers as a consequence. And I think De Beers has now come to an agreement with the Botswana government about that particular issue. Uh, much of our gold and so on in Africa also generates an awful lot of jobs outside of Africa. Uh, same with platinum and so on. And um, that income doesn't really come to South Africa itself. You know, we export the ore, we export the rough stuff, uh, we ship it all out, you know, the manganese and so on. But we don't actually benefit from the processing thereof. Now, if you export raw ore, from a country like Zambia and so on, you don't know on that 
20-ton truck or 40-ton truck that's going out of the country, going into a ship in Dar es Salaam and going off to China or wherever it's going, uh, you, you don't really know how much and what minerals are being extracted from it. Because when you have a mine, you actually have a bouquet of minerals that you are extracting and not just one mineral. Um, and so, you know, then it confounds the issue of taxation. It also confounds the issue of income streams and so on. And, and those are concerns that, that we are concerned about. All right, 24 minutes after the hour 11, I'm in conversation with David Van Veek. He's a research and mining analyst, the Benchmarks Foundation, and of course, Peter Major, who is a mining analyst. Peter, yesterday, um, Minister Mantashe spoke about the importance of exploration, saying that we need to uh, to, to, to support um, the people who are involved in mining exploration because we need to start identifying new resources and move away from, it's not move away, but extend, you know, the, the resource base uh, beyond platinum, gold, diamonds, and so on. And he mentioned the fact that uh, Northern Cape, it's a virgin territory, and we got to start looking at things like lithium and phosphate and so on. So is there a possibility that we can extend that far? Because he mentioned that uh, Limpopo as well has to be tapped uh, as well as Mpumalanga. Oh, look, Northern Cape's a huge area. We all know that. And it's arguably been the least explored of all the rest of the country. But that's not the main reason people are going there. The main reason companies like going to the Northern Cape is because it doesn't have many people. And it's so hard to get foreign investment in this country that when you do, they usually say, we do not want to invest next to a community because we always have trouble. They make demands on us. We land, we drive there on a truck. They're already asking us, we need money, we need a school. We're a small exploration company. So that's the reason the Northern Cape is so popular. It's very sparsely populated. So the guys aren't getting shaken down by the mafias and riffraff on day one. This whole country is full of minerals. We know that. Limpopo, tons of minerals from Pumalanga. But investors are afraid of going where there's lots of people, where there's established mafiosis. They like the place like the Northern Cape. It's wide open. They can actually put the money in the ground instead of people's back pockets, cash registers. And yes, South Africa used to lead the world in probably precious metal exploration. But the only thing we lead the world now is we spend the least per square kilometer than about any country in the world. Mm. We've just made it too restrictive, too many rules and regulations, too many demands, and too many hurdles to cross. That said, the Northern Cape is still attractive, and private money is going there. We haven't seen any government money going there or even medium company money going there. But it's so attractive that the small money is generating some nice targets nice returns, we think there will be more investment. David, as we conclude, I'm tired of hearing this word, beneficiation. Why the hell is it not being done? Well, I think the reason why beneficiation doesn't really happen is because even though the mineral rights belong to the government, once the minerals are mined, they no longer belong to the government. And they're not directed towards uh, development of manufacturing and so on in the country. They're also a very low-wage economy. And so there's no demand for manufactured goods in this country. So there's no incentive for people to invest in manufacturing. 
Uh, people will invest in manufacturing if people earn decent wages and they are able to buy manufactured goods. You know, we're the most unequal country in the world. And we have a situation where the majority of people are just trying to survive from day to day, putting food on the table. They can't really buy fancy equipment or radios or computers and things like that, which uh, the manufacturing in industry can produce. We're also very far from global markets, making our manufacturing uh, uncompetitive for export. So you have to develop a local market. You have to follow the Korean, the South Korean model, the, the, the Japanese model, the Chinese model in terms of creating a sufficiently big middle class of people who are able to actually consume uh, manufactured goods before manufacturing can take place. In fact, our country is deindustrializing as we speak. Indeed. Gentlemen, I thank you both for your great insights. Much appreciated. Thank you. Right. Peter Major, right. the mining analyst, as well as uh, David Van Veek, the researcher. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.